Welcome to the Field of Church podcast. Our church inhales and exhales the gospel every Sunday and is excited to bring our messages to you here. Thank you for joining us and we hope God moves in your life as you listen into this feed. Well, good morning. It is so great to be with you and come into your home and share the word of God with you. I want you to know the few times that I've done this, I just continue to be amazed at all the work that people do to make this special for you. So many churches just do their service on Sunday morning, put a camera out in the middle and do a live stream of it. And I watch these guys work so hard every single week to make it special for your lives. And I know you greatly appreciate that. But it's also great to be back gathering for worship. Last Sunday, Sandy and I went to uh, South Oaks and Wow, what a great moment to be back in church with God's people. The sense of excitement, it was just contagious. The, the energy that was in the room. And then to talk about the fact next week we're going to be baptizing 60, 70 people. What an exciting place to be at Fielder Church and to be a part of what God's doing in this church on a regular basis. But you know, last week also kind of made me sad a little bit because it made me realize how stagnant my life becomes without the gathering for worship. When God gave us the rhythm of a Sabbath, I've come to realize how important it is to my life, that it's part of my rhythm together with God's people and to experience God's presence, but also to feel it from their lives as well and be encouraged by that. I'm so glad that we're meeting back together, and I'm grateful for our leadership doing that with us. But you know, in this time, there's just so much emotional pain that's going on. This idea when we go into stores, everybody's got on a mask and you don't see a smile. You walk down the sidewalk and everybody separates. We can't gather as families. We can't have social gatherings. We can't go to ball games. We can't go to band concerts. And all this is going on. I I really do agree with Dr. Phil that what he said back in in March that probably the emotional impact upon America is going to be greater than the physical impact. Now, that's not diminishing the many people who have suffered physically from this, but I'm convinced the emotional pain is going to be what's going to be hardest to get over with, the disappointment that people feel. This last spring was my number three granddaughter, Abby Snorkel, I call her. It was going to be her graduation year of that event. And Because of all this that's gone on, there was no prom, there was no parties, there was no gathering with their friends and the excitement of all that that's going on. And the graduation, four people got to attend. We watched it back at their home on a live spring. And and, and as we came back in, she just looked at me and with such sadness in her eyes. And she said, Granddad, this just didn't fair. And I looked at her and I said, well, in my opinion, it's not fair. And I think what's going on today is it's causing a lot of pain in people's lives, both financially and emotionally. And what's going on, too, is as we get into these kind of difficult times, we begin to question the goodness of God. We begin to say, God, where are you? I thought you loved me. This isn't fair. Why are you letting this happen? Well, in the text we're going to be looking at today, the answer to those questions probably come out of this text as much as any in all the Bible as we study Joseph's life. Because if there was any human being in the Bible 
that would feel like life was unfair, that he'd not been treated right, that God was not there with him when uh, he had his time of trouble. It would be Joseph. And so what we're going to do this morning is look into his life and maybe get some answers to some of these questions. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter number 39. I want to remind you of the background of this text. Uh, you remember Joseph was one of several brothers, and, and, but he was the favored one of his dad, Jacob. And he was the favored one. And, and he was a young kid, pretty arrogant, pretty cocky, told everybody he was having dreams that he was one of these days going to rule over everybody. He was rebuked by his brothers, finally rebuked by his dad. And then you see this young man going out to be with his brothers, and his brothers, what do they do? They decide to exact some revenge upon him and sell him into slavery. They were going to kill him, but they talked themselves out of doing that. Ultimately, they sell him into slavery, and that's where we pick up in chapter number 39. And we're going to read these first six verses. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. That's what happened. The Ismaelites that uh, he was sold to bring him down to Egypt, and Potiphar an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had bought him, brought him there. And verse number two, very important statement, very important five words that you're going to see repeated four times in this text. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master, and his master saw that the Lord was with him. There's those five words again. And that the Lord had caused what he did to succeed with his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. He made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him as the overseer of his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on everything that he had in his house and in his field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. Because of him, he had no concern about anything except the food that he had eaten. Now, as you look at this, there's a couple of questions that jump off the page as you study this. The first thing you want to ask, well, wait a minute. Was Joseph's success due to the fact that God just did it, or did Joseph just work hard? Well, let me say to you, I think it was both. As you look at this text, I believe that success doesn't just come by God acting on us as we're laying on the couch doing nothing. I believe when it talks about here the work of his hands, I believe that you find a young man that was diligent about what he was doing. He didn't just sleep late and, and take a long lunch hour, then go for a nap and then leave early and expect God to bless him. No, he knew that God had given him some gifts and some talents. And he knew that if he was to have success, even with the hand of God upon his life, that he needed to apply those talents and do the best that he could do. You see, I'm convinced that, that hard work without the presence of God just leaves us tired and frustrated. But I'm also convinced that the blessing of God without hard work, produces laziness and slothfulness and doesn't honor God and doesn't honor His name. And I think you see these two things at work right here. And I just simply say to you today that God's given you some gifts. He's given you some talents and some abilities. But let me remind you that a potential never accomplishes anything. What brings the potential out of our lives is what it says in the book of Ecclesiastes. When we take everything God's put our hand to, and we give it our best, that gives us the opportunity for God to show us His power and show us His blessing. And that's what I believe happened exactly right here in this text, in this story of Joseph. But also, you look in this text, there's five words that's repeated twice, and you're going to see later on at the end of the chapter are repeated again. 
when it says God was with Joseph. God was with this young man. God was with him. And we need to recognize that as we begin to look at this, that it's the most significant thing in this entire chapter was not how hard he worked. It wasn't where he was. It wasn't what was going on. It was the fact that God was about his purpose. God was about his plan. That while Joseph couldn't understand it and Joseph's plan wasn't working and what Joseph thought was going to go on wasn't going on, but the one thing that is certain, the one thing that is sure throughout his life, and you're going to see through the rest of the chapters that you study, is that God was with Joseph in everything he did. And we're going to look at what that means in our lives in just a minute. But let's read on because this young man that, that it seemed to be so successful, his life suddenly takes a turn for the worse. Look at the last half of that verse. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Someone said he, he looked a whole lot like Ender Palencia, all right? I mean, he was a handsome guy. I mean, he was a guy that, you know, had a great appearance. That's kind of the way you get with uh, Ender. What a great-looking guy. That's the way Joseph was. But it's said in verse 7 that after a time, his master's wife, cast her eyes on Joseph and said, come lie with me. But look what it says. But he refused. He said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in his house. He's blessed me by putting everything that he has in my charge. He's trusted me. He's not greater in his house than I am, nor has he kept anything back from me except you, because you're his wife. I can't do this great wickedness. Look at this and sin against God. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he wouldn't listen to her, to lie beside her, or would he be with her? Now, th this experience takes a turn for the worse, because Joseph understands this culture. It, the potential is here that if he uh, gets involved with uh, a Potiphar's wife, he could be executed, he could be hanged, he could be uh, slaughtered, he could be put in prison. And he understood what was going on, he also understood that he didn't want to make the master's wife mad at him because if he did that, he could be in trouble. And at this point in time, it would have been very, very easy for Joseph to rationalize this. Look at this situation and say, well, you know something, no one will know. And I can go in and have a lot of fun here, right here, but he doesn't do that. What you begin to see right here is a glimpse of Joseph's character. But let me go beyond that. I believe beyond Joseph's character, you learn some things about sin and its impact. We oftentimes think, times think that sin is just something we do, and in reality, if it's not the right thing, it only impacts us. But I think we can learn, as he would say right here, that my sin would impact Potiphar, this man that's blessed me so much. I, I can't do that to him. It'd be wicked to him, and what we need to recognize is in our lives when we choose to sin and rebel against God, it not only impacts us, it has a far-reaching impact. You say, well, no, Gary, I, I can do some things and, and it only impacts me. Well, let me just pick out a few. The man who watches pornography and thinks it's just him and the screen, in reality what it does is it begins to change his mind and his heart. He begins to view his wife as an object, a, a place for his pleasure Men, let me say to you, your wife knows when that's happening. They know when that's going on in your heart, and it impacts her. Or the business person begins to do things in a shady way and move into some dishonest practices, and he thinks it's only right here he'll discover one day he's a dishonest person. Or, or maybe the one who just begins to shade the truth and, and, and shade in, in small things and little things, not be honest and tell the truth. What he begins to understand, it becomes to be more comfortable with lying. 
Before you know it, he's a person nobody can trust and nobody can believe. And you see, when we sin, doesn't just impact us. It impacts the people around us. Just look at the chapter we looked at last week, the experience of Judah. My goodness, the devastation in his life because of his rebellion. Now, certainly he repented and God transformed his life and redeemed his life. And that message was about redemption. But up until that time, his sin has devastated so many lives. And that's what happens to you and me. When we choose to walk away from God and go our own way, it isn't just us involved in that. It involves all the people around us. But you know something else? The main thing this text reminds us is that our sin is against God. He says in this text, he said, this is a great witness, uh, wickedness, and this sin is against my God. You see, this man Joseph realized what David learned later on and, as the great king of Israel. And when he chose to take Bathsheba and didn't think anybody would know about it, but everybody came to know about it. And when he became convicted because Nathan the prophet came to him, he made that declaration, you know something, my sin is against God. And it is God that I have rebelled against. You see, that's why God calls it rebellion. He calls it rebellion because it's at enmity against His purposes. And when we choose to go the direction we go, it's rebelling against God's way. It's shaking our fist at God and saying, God, I'll do what I want with my life and I'll go my own way. And certainly, as we learned last week, there's the place of repentance that God can redeem the life we need to recognize when we're making those decisions, it impacts other people, and certainly it impacts God. But then let's continue on in this text, because we're going to recognize that we think Joseph's life had been pretty difficult at this point, but it's about to take a turn for the worse. Look at verse number 11. But one day he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men the house were there in the house. And she, this is Potiphar's wife, caught him by his garment, said, Come lie with me. He left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left her garment in his hand and fled out of the house, she called the men of the household and said, You come and see. He has brought this Hebrew to laugh at us. He came to make me lie with him. And when I cried out with a live voice, as soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up her garment until her master came home. She told him the same story, this Hebrew servant whom you have brought in among us, came to me to laugh at me. But soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of this house. And as soon as his master heard these words and heard what was going on, what his wife spoke to him, he, this is the way your, wife treat, your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And guess what? And Joseph's master took him, put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. You look at this, and you go, what's going on here? God, where are you? Joseph did what was right, and yet he gets thrown into prison. Joseph did something that God would approve. God, how can you treat him this way that this man's been so mistreated? He ought to be lifted up as a man of righteousness, and yet he's thrown into prison, and someone going into that prison will live the rest of their life right there. And How can a good God let this happen to somebody like this? But let's be honest. And you and I feel that way sometimes. I mean, we pursue generosity, and we want to be people that are generous with others. And, and then we begin to have financial setbacks, and we say, wait, wait a minute, God, I, 
I've been generous with you. Why are you letting this happen to me? Some of you have lost your job or your business has been significantly impacted during this COVID time. And you begin to say, wait a minute, God, I was faithful to you. I, I was generous. Why this? And how about those of you that are suffering some things financial, uh, physical in your life? You look at some other people, your age, your circumstances, and they're not suffering in that way. You begin to pray to God and ask God for a miracle, and He maybe gives the miracle to other people, but He doesn't give you the miracle. You begin to look at that and begin to say, now, wait a minute, God, what's going on right here? And, and even when we do right in life, sometimes doing right brings some persecution to us and some ostracization from other people to us, and, and, and people talk about us and the way they treat us if we stand for the things that are godly and things that are right and do right. They make fun of us, and we begin to say, God, where are you in all of this? What we began to do right here is we began to complain, and let me also say we, we began to compare our lives to some other people. We began to say, God, it's not happening to this person. It's not happening to this person. Why is it happening to me? And if there's anybody in all the Bible that would be able to say that, it would be this man, Joseph. We, we, we might find some arrogance in his life and, and his, you know, the way he treated his brothers a bit, but there's nothing in this text within his life at this point would take deserving what all he's experienced. If there was anyone who would stop and say, God, why is this happening to me? It would be Joseph. So I can say to you, I can understand how you feel that way, but I think there's some truth here in Scripture that that's not the way God wants us to feel. That's a human perspective. That's not a God perspective. Let's follow on and finish this text and then move into some things that would show us God's perspective. Let's look at the next verses, verse 21. But the Lord, here's those five words again, but the Lord was with Joseph. And showed him, now look at this word, very, very important word in this text. Showed him his steadfast love and gave him favor. Steadfast love. That's love of, of, of constancy. That's a love that will never fail. That's a love that will follow us as long as we live. Joseph experienced that. And he gave him favor even in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison prayed no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. Why? Five words again. Because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, God, the Lord, made it to succeed. Now, what you see here is an incredible paradox. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was still in prison. Joseph had plans, and those plans weren't working. But God had plans, and those plans were at work. You began to look in this situation, and, and you began to see that this incredible paradox. And, and what you could say out of this, if there was anyone who could be a complainer, if there was anyone who could be a griper, if there was anyone who would be a comparer, it would be Joseph. And yet, what we began to see out of this text, there's some things that Joseph knew, because listen to this. He was not looking at it from human perspectives. He was looking at it from God's perspective. And what you see in this chapter is some things about God's perspective just boil out of this text. You begin to see some things as you look at this that, that make you see that God's ways are not our ways. God's plans are not our way, plans. But God has a purpose that He's trying to fulfill in our lives. And if we will begin to look at it not with human eyes, 
but spiritual eyes, we'll begin to see what God wants to say to us out of this. What I've done is I've come up with three thoughts out of this text I want to conclude with. Three thoughts that I believe summarize how Joseph went about life, but also how we want to go, need to go about life when life seems unfair, when life goes against us, when the miracle doesn't happen, when the job is lost, when the children do rebel, when life seems to go amiss, and, and we don't know why or what's going on. There's some things God wants to say to us about our relationship with Him. Let me make these three statements. The first one, because of my sin and rebellion, the only thing I really deserve is God's judgment. Let me say that one more time. Because of my sin and rebellion against God, the only thing I really deserve is God's judgment upon my life. The Apostle Paul, the great missionary man of God, when he looked at his life and the many good things that he did, do you know what he said? Even the best that I do is like filthy rags before holy God. Why would we ever think that our pitiful little bit of service and our every once in a while sacrifice and our just willingness to tip God with a little bit of what we have and do a few things that He liked, why would we ever think in the midst of the big picture that we ever deserve anything from God? In fact, as I began to look at the Scripture, the only thing we deserve is God's judgment upon our lives. The only thing that we deserve in our God is for God to bring that judgment to bear upon our lives. But what happens to us is when we begin to compare ourselves not to the world and not to others, but compare ourselves to a holy God, we begin to see ourselves as we really are and understand that the only way we're going to have a relationship with God is to bow ourselves before Him, to cast ourselves upon our face and say, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And we began to realize that we cry out for God's grace and mercy, not because we can earn that in a relationship with God, because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. God gives to us that mercy and grace and brings us to that place of salvation. And when we began to look at it like that, we began to understand that, my goodness, everything we have that is good comes from the hand of God. If we ever want to measure ourselves, we don't want to measure ourselves by one another and what we think we ought to have and what we think maybe we deserve a little bit. What we ought to do is measure ourselves before a holy God. And I'll just tell you something, when we began to do that, that conversation doesn't ever go very well. Because when we began to do that and understand this holy, awesome God, my goodness, it's so merciful and great that He would ever give us His grace and mercy. And what it ought to put in our lives is not bitterness and anger about our circumstance, but an attitude of thanksgiving and worship and humility and understanding by the grace of God He's given us so many good things. And instead of being angry and shaking our fists and saying, why did you do that to me? We ought to be people who open our hands and say, oh my goodness, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for all of your good gifts to us. So you see, we need to understand when it comes to what we deserve, the only thing we really deserve is judgment. But then the second thing is one of the greatest truths in all the Bible is found in these four times in this statement when it says, and God was with Joseph. And God was with Joseph. Do you realize what an incredible statement that is? A few minutes ago, we sang that song, I am a friend of God. God Almighty, I can call Him my friend. 
And I can believe that there's a God in the heavens and in the creation who's not way off someplace doing His thing. He's with me in my life. I think that's what you find in Joseph's life. When he was in the pit that his brothers threw him in, where was God? He was right there in that pit. When he was on that caravan after he'd been sold into slavery, where was God? God was right there with him. When he was bought by Potiphar, the Lord God was with Joseph. When he was in prison, even though it wasn't what he wanted for his life, what do we find out about this? God was right in the middle of that. God was right in the heart of everything that is going on. Now, you're probably like me. I like it that God's with me, but I want him to solve all my problems. I want him to make everything right. I want him to make life smooth for me and take care of all of my problems. Well, let me say to you something you need to understand. That isn't going to happen this side of heaven. The greatest truth and the greatest understanding you can ever know is that the eternal God of creation has said to you, you give your life to me and I will be with you. And and if you live any other way in your relationship with God, you're going to be frustrated. You're going to doubt his love. You're going to wonder where he is. And you're going to think you might have deserved something because you're a little better than somebody else. But in reality, you begin to realize there's an eternal God who's given his life to you. A creator, holy God, that has submitted his life to come live in you and will promise you, I will walk with you every place we go. Now, think about that for just a minute. The God this morning that painted that beautiful sunrise, put the stars in place, hung the planets, and everything works so well and so wonderful in in this world and in this creation. That God has said to you, even in the pit, even in slavery, even when you think you're in prison, even when you feel like you've been mistreated, I'm going to be with you. Wow, what a great truth that comes out of this text. But then there's one other thing, one other thing. And that's the fact that God wants to use our circumstances to glorify Himself and transform you and me. Let me say that one more time. God wants to use the good in our lives and the pain in our lives. What does He want to do with it? He wants to use it to glorify Himself and transform our lives. As I, I look at our lives, after we come to know Jesus as Savior, you need to recognize God has two goals And one of them them isn't making life easy for you and me. You know what those two goals are? The first one is to make us like Jesus, transform our lives into being like Him, to conform us into His image, to give us the kind of character in some measure that He had, to give us the very heart that Jesus had upon this earth. God wants to do that in our lives. And you watch Joseph. That's exactly what he did with Joseph. I mean, he starts off as this arrogant teenager that nobody wants to be around. A guy that, my goodness, I I don't have blame his brothers for throwing him in the pit and selling him off. I wouldn't have sent him that far away. I would have for a few months, okay? Anybody who's had brothers knows those kind of feelings. But you've got this kind of kid that even his dad is rebuking because of his arrogance. And what does God do? God takes him some places And out of that, he shapes him into a great leader, a a wise manager, a a powerful servant of God, even a compassionate brother, and ultimately someone used mightily by God. Do you think that happened in Pharaoh's palace? No, it didn't happen there. It happened down in the pit. 
being misunderstood. A time of being sold into slavery, separated from his family, even spending those hours in prison. What's God doing? God is shaping him to be a man of God. Let me say to you, that's exactly what God's about in your life and my life. I, I, I don't like it. I, I'd like to be shaped by God because of how great things are. But I have to admit to you, I need the pain. I need the difficulty. And God uses it to make me to be the man He wants me to be. And that's exactly what the Lord wants to do with you. If you'll just cooperate with this process and recognize He's walking with you. But one other thing out of this. He also wants to make Himself known to this world. I look in this text and one of the things that just keeps coming back to me is Potiphar and the head of the prison both recognized something in his life. Both of them recognized that God was with him. Later on, we're going to see that even the king Pharaoh recognized that God was with him. Well, do you think they recognized God was with him because of the fact that he was successful out there in the business world? No, they watched someone in the midst of difficulty be faithful and work hard and be diligent and saw the hand of God upon his life. And everyone around them, around him said, my goodness, there's something different about this guy. Not in his success so much, but the fact that we see God with him, even in the prison. For you and me, there's folks who are watching us every single day. And yes, when the good things come, we praise the Lord for that, I'm sure, and they see that. But what do they see when life goes south, when it goes from bad to worse? What do our families see when they watch our lives spinning out of control? Do they see anger and bitterness about why would God let this happen? Or do they see someone? who recognizes the presence and the power of God in their life. And in doing so, says, my goodness, God's with that person because I watch how they're living and acting in this situation. I, I would admit to you, there was a time in my life that this kind of attitude wasn't true. In a dark moment in my life some years ago, I, I would have to admit to you that I doubted God's love. I doubted God's goodness. I, I ask God a lot of times, where were you when this happened? And why would you bring this to my life? Why would you allow this to my life? But you, you know what was the result of that? It, it, it just seemed as though the joy and the gladness of my life was just sucked out. And I just felt like a person going through the motions. And one day I was visiting with a pastor friend of mine and I was telling him how I feel. I don't know if I'll ever feel any joy again. I don't know what's going to happen in my life. I know I can just go on, but I just feel so empty. And he said, he made this statement to me. I'll never forget it. 30-plus years ago. He said, you know something, Gary? Joy is not something you make happen. And you will never be able to make it happen. But joy is a gift from God. And it comes to you when God decides to give it to you. You have to learn how to wait on God for that. And he said, in the meantime, your only choice, listen to this, is faithfulness. Oh, I didn't like that. I wanted somebody to tell me a surefire formula to get joy and happiness and gladness. And he told me, no. Your only choice in the pit, in the prison, is to be faithful. In fact, a few weeks later, Somebody 
gave me a, a little card that had a verse of scripture, verses of scripture on it that became my life. Psalm 40. It said, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me, and he heard my cry. And he drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. And he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. And he put a new song of joy in my life, a song of praise to our God. And many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. You see, I know what it's like to be down in that pit and complain and feel God's not treated me right. But, oh, God was so faithful to, put, to take me out of that pit and put my feet on a rock, put a new song in my mouth, give me joy unspeakable in my life that's almost unexplainable by me. He did that by His grace and His mercy, and He wants to do the same in your life. But He's not going to be able to do it if you won't become faithful to Him. If you're waiting on Him to change everything, to bring joy to your life and get everything right with Him, you will never get there. Your choice is to be faithful, to turn your life to Him. I know as some of you listen this, to this today, there's some things going on in people listening to this whole sermon. There's some of you today that I'm sure the reason why you haven't given your life to Christ is because you've seen difficult things happen in people's lives, even in your own life. And you're a little bitter and angry at God that He would let some things come to you. And, and, and you're, you're mad at God that He would let some difficulty. And you may think you deserve something different. Well, I want to tell you something you don't. In reality, what you've got to begin to do in your life is not compare yourself to other people, but compare yourself to God and recognize that you need the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God in your life. And the only way that's going to happen to your life is to open your life and surrender to Him. It won't be when He makes everything smooth and easy for you. It will be when you're willing to bow your knee before Him and get on your face, confess your sin, and accept Jesus into your life as Lord and Savior. And decide that you can't save yourself. The only one who can do that is God, and the only one who can change your life is God. When you begin to realize, you will gladly open your life to Him. But you know, there's some others of you that possibly you've already given your life to Christ, and it hadn't gone like you thought it would go. You thought maybe if you were generous, if you were faithful, if you did this, that maybe this would happen. This would happen and kind of guarantee some things for your life. You've discovered that's not true. Right now, there's some anger. You, you might not say it to other people. You might get into Bible studies and act so spiritual, but down in your soul, you're mad at God because He's let this happen. I want you to know you're not going to solve that by trying to make God in debt to you. The only way you're going to get victory over that is to do what Jesus do, did when He was in the Garden of Eden. I'm sorry, the Garden of Gethsemane. When he was getting ready to pay a price for something he didn't deserve, something that he, he was going to be treated unfairly, something that would never be warranted by the life he lived, he did it because he loved us. When he was in that garden, God was calling him to do that. What did he pray? God, God, not my will be done, but your will be done. And there's some of you today that need to pray that prayer. God, I'm not in charge. You're in charge. 
Today, I surrender my life once again into your hands, into your keeping, into your care. In fact, let's just take a moment. Those of you at your homes and places, would all of you just bow your head for a moment of prayer? For those of you right now that need Jesus Christ as your Savior, you say, Gary, how do I get there? Or you get there by praying a prayer of repentance, of acknowledging your sins, acknowledging your need of a holy God, acknowledging that you have rebelled against God and you could never deserve a right relationship with Him. And by faith, you put your faith not in what you can do, but in the cross of Jesus Christ. And as you pray that, pray that prayer of faith, you will find your lives transformed by the presence of God's Holy Spirit if you will open your life to Him. But then some of you today need to bow your head in the midst of some pretty difficult circumstances and just be willing to pray, Dear God, not my will, but yours. Lord, here in this pit, this prison, I surrender my life to you to be used by you. Would you do that today? And what you'll discover is those five words in that text. God will be with you. I pray today that you will do that. Now, in just a minute, we're going to sing a song together. But what you need to do during that song is go get your Lord's Supper materials and stuff. Do like me at my house. Go run to the refrigerator and see what you have that you can use for that. Go get that. We're going to sing a song together. And after we do that, Jason's going to come. Lead us in the Lord's Supper. We're going to celebrate His presence. And as we do the Lord's Supper, let's celebrate how good God has been to us, how merciful He's been to us by His death upon us.